Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You're about to listen to a Women in Tech Remix episode, where we present to you a curated selection of impactful clips from previous episodes that you may have missed. And be sure to follow the links in the show notes to listen to the full episodes. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, I'm Wes Kale. I'm co-founder of Maven, and we make it really easy for creators to build engaging live online courses. I'm based in Toronto, Canada, Ooh, yes, this is a juicy one. I think the biggest obstacle that I've overcome is worrying too much. <laughs> Same. This is something that <laughs> this is something that I actively started working on a couple of years ago, literally as a New Year's intention. Um, it's it's actually it's my New Year's intention this year for 2022. And the reason that I say that this was the biggest obstacle is because, you know, I had mentioned overthinking earlier. I think many times our biggest strengths are also our biggest weaknesses. Strengths and weaknesses I see as two sides of the same coin. It's basically a personality trait or or an instinct, an inclination, an an orientation that you have. Um, And one of of my traits, which can also be a strength, is that I think about all the different ways that something could play out so that I can make the most strategic, informed decision possible. And I think about second-order effects. I think about positive or, or negative externalities. I think about you know, a couple steps down the line, is this still going to be a good decision? I think about, you know, the other the other things that might be impacted. And sometimes that is the right level of thinking. And other times it's too much. And I've noticed that there have been times, especially when building the Alt-MBA, when building Maven, where I have to make decisions with limited information. I think that that is one of the the biggest things that you have to do as a founder, as a leader, as an operator, is making good decisions, doing them at a good clip, at a good velocity. So for me, worrying, you know, before I made a decision and then after created a lot of unnecessary cycles of emotional labor and strain that took up a lot of energy. So working on that as a more macro obstacle has made all the other daily, weekly, more tactical obstacles a lot easier to overcome. What would you suggest somebody listening right now? They're like, I really, really want to do my own thing. What's the best piece of advice that you've gotten that has helped you propel forward that might be great advice for them as well? If I had to give a piece of advice for someone who's thinking about doing their own thing, I would say to be really practical and strategic about it. I think there's a lot of advice out there about chasing your dreams, just going out there and doing it, just giving it a try. I actually think that jumping the gun like that um, isn't always a good idea because 
morale is important, your own morale. And if you jump into doing something that you could have, could have realized with, you know, an extra 10 minutes of thinking that that wasn't really a good idea, then you're going to get discouraged when that thing doesn't work. So I think protecting your own, your own emotional well-being, your emotional labor and morale is important. And doing a bit of upfront thinking about how are you uniquely suited to solve this problem will make you much more successful. So if someone on the street, a random person with effort and time could do the same thing, then I think you're starting the wrong business or, or going into the wrong project. I am pretty strict with myself. And I think this is, this has paid off really well in my career of choosing opportunities where I feel like I have an unfair advantage at succeeding at that opportunity. That unfair advantage is really, really key. Hi, this is Mia Kogan-Spivak, senior in high school that hopes to study neuroscience and hopefully become a doctor, maybe a pediatrician just outside of Boston. I have two main points on that sort of aspect that moms really shouldn't feel guilty. The first is that, especially as a girl with a mom that is such like a leader and such a what you would really call like a woman in power or, a, you know, I could just say a powerful woman. She is 100% always been and always will be my number one role model because I see how driven she is and how much she has not only achieved outside of herself, but within herself in sort of her whole being, being in business and running a business and the whole, that whole thing. So seeing how she has grown and made that work and like balanced everything in her life. And so just without her even trying to, she has been my number one role model for as long as I can remember. And it's because of the work she does and the type of woman that she is. On your journey, becoming a woman in tech yourself, when did you first discover technology and why did it interest you? Technology and STEM. I I think I first discovered it. Gosh, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe 12 or 13. I, no, younger. I, maybe 11. I was, um, I did this, I don't, I don't remember what it's called. This six week, like every Saturday I would go to MIT. So Massachusetts Institute of Technology, I would go there and I was taking these two classes. Of course, I don't remember what they were, but they were very like STEM tech related. And so that was my first introduction where from there, I actually started taking like computer science and coding classes, computer programming. Then I sort of pivoted and decided that wasn't really for me, but that was kind of my first introduction. And I actually did some girls who code stuff. MIT did like a girls, like a girls coding type of camp, which was actually awesome. Even though I didn't love the coding and the programming part so much, it was a lot of girls that were like really interested and driven in the same ways that I was. So props to MIT for that and girls who code and the other types of organizations. But yeah, that was my, my intro to that and how I sort of got on the STEM tech path. We have a very similar journey in the sense that I found these college programs as well when I was in high school and younger. How did you discover the MIT, that MIT was even accessible to you to take, forget what it's called, uh, it's a, an extent, it's called an extension program or something, right? Yeah, I think, 
I wish I could. I, if I can look at my email, I'll find the name of it. Something like Splash or some kind of thing like that, like Stream. Like the, it was like these these programs that they would advertise for high school and younger students. And how did you find it? I'll be honest with you, it was my mom. My mom really wanted me to, to try out coding, try out some tech stuff. And she found these, these like programs for me and urged me to do them. Hi, this is Lauren Kelly Chu. I am head of clinical product at Levels. Levels helps you see how food affects your health. I am based in Oakland, California. I agree. And I've especially noticed that working for a remote company where recently my Wi-Fi went out in the building. Or it, it didn't go out. I recently moved apartments and I had a little bit of a challenge with Comcast. So I didn't have Wi-Fi for a while. And it was amazing how little I could do and how ungrounded I felt in that and disoriented. And it really made me realize just how dependent I am on it. And not just that, but that it's really connected to my work, my personal life, almost everything. The only things really that I was able to do that are part of my normal routine that I could still do were to move my body. I went out Which and I so went for important. a walk. It, yeah. it is. So maybe that's the lesson here is Move. <laughs> right, exactly. Move, <laughs> move and move in as many ways as possible. Definitely. A couple questions that uh, that will help me as this podcast creator. I was reading Arlen Hamilton's book. Um, it's about damn time. And it's uh, about how um, how we have so many more advantages uh, dependent on our network. And even in your story, because you went to school with someone who was able to introduce you to someone else, you were able to get a job. And it inspired me to think, how can this Women in Tech podcast be a conduit for people to have more opportunity? How can I share the access I have to give others, to give women uh, around the world more opportunity? It's kind of like a big question. One thing that came to mind to me is, you know, a lot of people are looking to raise money. So can I, can I connect our listeners to venture capitalists? Like what, does anything kind of intuitively pop into your mind of a way I could use our podcast in order to, I guess, make our listeners' lives easier, more connected, um, share my access with them? Well, first of all, I so appreciate what your podcast does. And I have had experiences in my life where the mentorship of women in leadership positions has completely changed my entire mindset, even if I only interact with them, with them for a summer internship, for example, it has such a huge impact. And I think what you're doing provides that for people all over the world. And I'm, I'm so appreciative. Um, so I think, no, it really, it really is. It makes such a difference. Um, so I think you're already doing so much. I want to give this question more thought. One thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is even possible on your podcast, but is translating some of these very inspirational stories into first steps. So for example, I think like a lot of women, young women, women of any age, including me in certain situations, for example, something as easy as like, okay, I'm really interested in finance. How do I get an internship? And it's not necessarily like, oh, you prepare or whatever, but like literally, how do you get that internship? Like, do you write an application? Do you con do you start like sending emails out to your network? Do you go to events? Like, what do you do? And maybe having little like 10 minutes something with a woman who can say point by point, like, this is what I did to get my first internship. And it spares no detail and it creates a blueprint for people to follow themselves. 
The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.